Book Eighth of the Excursion by William Wordsworth, The Parsonage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The pensive skeptic of the lonely vale to those acknowledgments subscribed his own, with a sedate compliance which the priest failed not to notice, inly pleased, and said, "If ye by whom invited I began these narratives of calm and humble life be satisfied, tis well." The end is gained. And, in return for sympathy bestowed and patient listening, thanks except from me. Life, death, eternity—momentous themes are they, and might demand a seraph's tongue, were they not equal to their own support. And therefore no incompetence of mine could do them wrong. The universal forms of human nature, in a spot like this, present themselves at once to all men's view. Ye wished for act and circumstance, that make the individual known and understood, and such as my best judgment could select from what the place afforded have been given. Though apprehensions crossed me that my zeal to his might be well likened, who unlocks a cabinet stored with gems and pictures, draws his treasures forth, soliciting regard to this and this as worthier than the last, till the spectator who a while was pleased more than the exhibitor himself becomes weary and faint, and longs to be released. But let us hence, my dwelling is in sight, and there— At this the solitary shrunk with backward will, but wanting not address that inward motion to disguise, he said to his compatriot, smiling as he spake, the peaceable remains of this good knight would be disturbed, I fear, with wrathful scorn if consciousness could reach him where he lies, that one, albeit of these degenerate times deploring changes past or dreading change foreseen, had dared to couple, even in thought, the fine vocation of the sword and lance, with the gross aims and body-bending toil of a poor brotherhood who walked the earth pitied, and, where they are not known, despised. Yet, by the good knight's leave, the two estates are graced with some resemblance. Errant those, exiles and wanderers, and the like are these, who, with their burthen, traverse hill and dale, carrying relief for nature's simple wants. What though no higher recompense be sought than honest maintenance by irksome toil full oft procured, yet may they claim respect among the intelligent for what this course enables them to be and to perform. Their tardy steps give leisure to observe, while solitude permits the mind to feel, instructs, and prompts her to supply defects by the division of her inward self for grateful converse. And to these poor men nature, I but repeat your favorite boast, is bountiful. Go wheresoe'er they may. Kind nature's various wealth is all their own, versed in the characters of men, and bound by ties of daily interest to maintain conciliatory manners and smooth speech. Such have been, and still are in their degree, examples efficacious to refine rude intercourse, apt agents to expel, by importation of unlooked-for arts, barbarian torpor, and blind prejudice, raising through just gradation savage life to rustic, and the rustic to urbane. 
Within their moving magazines is lodged power that comes forth to quicken and exalt affections seated in the mother's breast and in the lover's fancy, and to feed the sober sympathies of long-tried friends. By these itinerants, as experienced men, counsel is given. Contention they appease with gentle language. In remotest wilds tears wipe away, and pleasant tidings bring. Could the proud quest of chivalry do more? Happy, rejoined the wanderer, they who gain a panegyric from your generous tongue. But, if to these wayfarers once pertained aught of romantic interest, it is gone. Their purer service in this realm at least is past for ever. An inventive age has wrought, if not with speed of magic, yet to most strange issues. I have lived to mark a new and unforeseen creation rise from out the labors of a peaceful land, wielding her potent enginery to frame and to produce, with appetite as keen as that of war, which rests not night or day, industrious to destroy. With fruitless pains might one like me now visit many a tract which in his youth he trod, and trod again, a lone pedestrian with a scanty freight, wished for or welcome wheresoe'er he came, among the tenantry of Thorpe and Vill, or straggling burg of ancient charter proud, and dignified by battlements and towers of some stern castle mouldering on the brow of a green hill or bank of rugged stream. The footpath faintly marked, the horse-track wild, and formidable length of plashy lane, prized avenues ere others had been shaped, or easier links connecting place with place have vanished, swallowed up by stately roads, easy and bold, that penetrate the gloom of Britain's farthest glens. The earth has lent her waters, air her breezes, and the sail of traffic glides with ceaseless intercourse, glistening along the low and woody dale, or, in its progress, on the lofty side of some bare hill, with wonder kenned from far. Meanwhile, at social industry's command, how quick, how vast an increase! From the germ of some poor hamlet rapidly produced, here a huge town, continuous and compact, hiding the face of earth for leagues, and there, where not a habitation stood before, abodes of men irregularly massed, like trees and forests, spread through spacious tracts, o'er which the smoke of unremitting fires hangs permanent, and plentiful as wreaths of vapour glittering in the morning sun. And wheresoe'er the traveller turns his steps, he sees the barren wilderness erased, or disappearing. Triumph that proclaims how much the mild directress of the plough owes to alliance with these new-born arts. Hence is the wide sea peopled. Hence the shores of Britain are resorted to by ships freighted from every climate of the world with the world's choicest produce. Hence that sum of keels that rest within her crowded ports, or ride at anchor in her sounds and bays, that animating spectacle of sails that through her inland regions to and fro pass with the respirations of the tide, perpetual, multitudinous. Finally, hence a dread arm of floating power, a voice of thunder daunting those who would approach with hostile purposes the blessed isle, truth's consecrated residence, the seat impregnable of liberty and peace. And yet, O happy pastor of a flock faithfully watched, 
and by that loving care and heaven's good providence preserved from taint, with you I grieve, when on the darker side of this great change I look, and there behold such outrage done to nature as compels the indignant power to justify herself, yea, to avenge her violated rights, for England's bane. When soothing darkness spreads o'er hill and vale, the wanderer thus expressed his recollections, and the punctual stars, while all things else are gathering to their homes, advance, and in the firmament of heaven glitter, but undisturbing, undisturbed, as if their silent company were charged with peaceful admonitions for the heart of all beholding man, earth's thoughtful lord. Then, in full many a region, once like this the assured domain of calm simplicity and pensive quiet, an unnatural light prepared for never-resting labor's eyes breaks from a many-windowed fabric huge, and at the appointed hour a bell is heard, of harsher import than the curfew knoll that spake the Norman conqueror's stern behest, a local summons to unceasing toil. Disgorged are now the ministers of day, and as they issue from the illumined pile, a fresh band meets them at the crowded door, and in the courts, and where the rumbling stream that turns the multitude of dizzy wheels glares like a troubled spirit in its bed among the rocks below. Men, maidens, youths, mother and little children, boys and girls, enter, and each the wanted task resumes within this temple, where is offered up to gain the master idol of the realm, perpetual sacrifice. Even thus of old our ancestors, within the still domain of vast cathedral or conventual church, their vigils kept, where tapers day and night on the dim altar burned continually, in token that the house was evermore watching to God. Religious men were they, nor would their reason, tutored to or aspire above this transitory world, allow that there should pass a moment of the year when in their land the Almighty's service ceased. Triumph who will in these profaner rites which we, a generation self-extolled, as zealously perform. I cannot share his proud complacency. Yet do I exult, casting reserve away, exult to see an intellectual mastery exercised o'er the blind elements, a purpose given, a perseverance fed, almost a soul imparted to brute matter. I rejoice measuring the force of those gigantic powers that, by the thinking mind, have been compelled to serve the will of feeble-bodied man. For with the sense of admiration blends the animating hope that time may come when strengthened, yet not dazzled, by the might of this dominion over nature gained, men of all lands shall exercise the same in due proportion to their country's need. Learning, though late, that all true glory rests, all praise, all safety, and all happiness, upon the moral law. Egyptian Thebes, Tyre, by the margin of the sounding waves, Palmyra, central in the desert, fell, and the arts died by which they had been raised. Call Archimedes from his buried tomb upon the grave of vanished Syracuse, and feelingly the sage shall make report how insecure, how baseless in itself, is the philosophy whose sway depends on mere material instruments. How weak those arts, and high inventions, if unpropped by virtue! He, sighing with pensive grief, amid his calm abstractions, would admit that not the slender privilege is theirs to save themselves from blank forgetfulness. 
When, from the wanderer's lips these words had fallen, I said, And did in truth those vaunted arts possess such privilege? How could we escape sadness and keen regret, we who revere and who would preserve as things above all price, the old domestic morals of the land, her simple manners, and the stable worth that dignified and cheered a low estate? Oh, where is now the character of peace, sobriety, and order, and chaste love, and honest dealing, and untainted speech, and pure good will, and hospitable cheer, that made the very thought of country life a thought of refuge for a mind detained reluctantly amid the bustling crowd, where now the beauty of the Sabbath kept with conscientious reverence, as a day by the Almighty Lawgiver pronounced holy and blessed, and where the winning grace of all the lighter ornaments attached to time and season, as the year rolled round? Fled, was the wanderer's passionate response, fled utterly, or only to be traced in a few fortunate retreats like this, which I behold with trembling when I think what lamentable change a year, a month, may bring, that brook converting as it runs into an instrument of deadly bane for those who yet, untempted to forsake the simple occupations of their sires, drink the pure water of its innocent stream with lip almost as pure. Domestic bliss, or call it comfort by a humbler name, how art thou blighted for the poor man's heart! Lo, in such neighbourhood, from morn to eve, the habitations empty or perchance the mother left alone, no helping hand, to rock the cradle of her peevish babe. No daughters round her, busy at the wheel, or in dispatch of each day's little growth of household occupation. No nice arts of needlework, no bustle at the fire, where once the dinner was prepared with pride, nothing to speed the day or cheer the mind, nothing to praise, to teach, or to command. The father, if perchance he still retain his old employments, goes to field or wood, no longer led or followed by the sons. Idlers perchance they were, but in his sight, breathing fresh air and treading the green earth, till their short holiday of childhood ceased, ne'er to return. That birthright now is lost. Economists will tell you that the state thrives by the forfeiture, unfeeling thought and faults as monstrous. Can the mother thrive by the destruction of her innocent sons in whom a premature necessity blocks out the forms of nature, preconsumes the reason, famishes the heart, shuts up the infant being in itself, and makes its very spring a season of decay? The lot is wretched, the condition sad, whether a pining discontent survive and thirst for change, or habit hath subdued the soul depressed, dejected even to love of her close tasks and long captivity. O oh, banish far such wisdom as condemns a native Briton to these inward chains, fixed in his soul, so early and so deep, without his own consent or knowledge fixed. He is a slave to whom release comes not, and cannot come. The boy, where'er he turns, is still a prisoner. When the wind is up among the clouds and roars through the ancient woods, or when the sun is shining in the east, quiet and calm, behold him, in the school of his attainments? No, but with the air fanning his temples under heaven's blue arch, his raiment, whitened o'er with cotton flakes or locks of wool, announces whence he comes, creeping his gait and cowering, his lip pale, his respiration quick and audible, 
and scarcely could you fancy that a gleam could break from out those languid eyes or a blush mantle upon his cheek is this the form is that the countenance and such the port of no mean being one who should be clothed with dignity befitting his proud hope who in his very childhood should appear sublime from present purity and joy the limbs increase but liberty of mind is gone for ever and this organic frame so joyful in its motions is become dull to the joy of her own motions dead and even the touch so exquisitely poured through the whole body with a languid will performs its functions rarely competent to impress a vivid feeling on the mind of what there is delightful in the breeze the gentle visitations of the sun or lapse of liquid element by hand or foot or lip in summer's warmth perceived can hope look forward to a manhood raised on such foundations hope is none for him the pale recluse indignantly exclaimed and tens of thousands suffer wrong as deep yet be it asked in justice to our age if there were not before those arts appeared these structures rose commingling old and young and unripe sex with sex for mutual taint if there were not then in our far-famed isle multitudes who from infancy had breathed air unimprisoned and had lived at large yet walked beneath the sun in human shape as abject as degraded at this day who shall enumerate the crazy huts and tottering hovels whence do issue forth a ragged offspring with their upright hair crowned like the image of fantastic fear or wearing shall we say in that white growth an ill-adjusted turban for defence or fierceness wreathed around their sunburnt brows by savage nature shrivelled are their lips naked and coloured like the soil the feet on which they stand as if thereby they drew some nourishment as trees do by their roots from earth the common mother of us all figure and mien complexion and attire are leagued to strike dismay but outstretched hand and whining voice denote them supplicants for the least boon that pity can bestow such on the breast of darksome heaths are found and with their parents occupy the skirts of furze-clad commons such are born and reared at the mine's mouth under impending rocks or dwell in chambers of some natural cave or where their ancestors erected huts for the convenience of unlawful gain in forest purlieus and the like are bred all england through where nooks and slips of ground purloined in times less jealous than our own from the green margin of the public way a residence afford them mid the bloom and gaiety of cultivated fields such we will hope the lowest in the scale do i remember oft times to have seen mid buxton's dreary heights in earnest watch till the swift vehicle approach they stand then following closely with the cloud of dust an uncouth feet exhibit and are gone heels overhead like tumblers on a stage up from the ground they snatch the copper coin and on the freight of merry passengers fixing a steady eye maintain their speed and spin and pant and overhead again wild perseverance until their breath is lost or bounty tires and every face that smiled encouragement hath ceased to look that way but like the vagrants of the gypsy tribe these bred to little pleasure in themselves are profitless to others 
Turn we then to Britons born and bred within the pale of civil polity, and early trained to earn by wholesome labour in the field the bread they eat. A sample should I give of what this stock hath long produced, to enrich the tender age of life, ye would exclaim, is this the whistling ploughboy whose shrill notes impart now gladness to the morning air? Forgive me if I venture to suspect that many, sweet to hear of in soft verse, are of no finer frame. Stiff are his joints, beneath a cumbrous frock, that to the knees invests the thriving churl, his legs appear, fellows to those that lustily upheld the wooden stools for everlasting use, whereon our fathers sate. And mark his brow, under whose shaggy canopy are set two eyes, not dim, but of a healthy stare, wide, sluggish, blank, and ignorant, and strange, proclaiming boldly that they never drew a look or motion of intelligence from infant conning of the Christ-cross row, or puzzling through a primer, line by line, till perfect mastery crown the pains at last. What kindly warmth from touch of fostering hand, what penetrating power of sun or breeze, shall e'er dissolve the crust wherein his soul sleeps, like a caterpillar sheathed in ice. This torpor is no pitiable work of modern ingenuity. No town nor crowded city can be taxed with aught of Scottish vice or desperate breach of law, to which, and who can tell where or how soon, he may be roused. This boy the fields produce, his spade and hoe, mattock and glittering scythe, the carter's whip that on his shoulder rests in air high-towering with a boorish pomp, the sceptre of his sway, his country's name, her equal rights, her churches and her schools, what have they done for him? And let me ask, for tens of thousands, uninformed as he. In brief, what liberty of mind is here? This ardent sally pleased the mild good man, to whom the appeal couched in its closing words was pointedly addressed, and to the thoughts that in assent or opposition rose within his mind, he seemed prepared to give prompt utterance, but the vicar interposed with invitation urgently renewed. We followed, taking as he led a path along a hedge of hollies dark and tall, whose flexile boughs, low bending with a weight of leafy spray, concealed the stems and roots that gave them nourishment. When frosty winds howl from the north, what kindly warmth methought is here! How grateful this impervious screen! Not shaped by simple wearing of the foot on rural business passing to and fro was the commodious walk. A careful hand had marked the line and strewn its surface o'er with pure cerulean gravel from the heights fetched by a neighboring brook. Across the vale the stately fence accompanied our steps, and thus the pathway by perennial green guarded and graced seemed fashioned to unite, as by a beautiful yet solemn chain, the pastor's mansion with the house of prayer. Like image of solemnity conjoined with feminine allurement soft and fair, the mansion's self displayed, a reverend pile with bold projections and recesses deep, shadowy, yet gay and lightsome as it stood fronting the noontide sun. We paused to admire the pillared porch elaborately embossed, the low wide windows with their millions old, the cornice richly fretted of grey stone, and that smooth slope from which the dwelling rose by beds and banks arcadian of gay flowers and flowering shrubs, protected and adorned. Profusion bright, 
and every flower assuming a more than natural vividness of hue from unaffected contrast with the gloom of sober cypress and the darker foil of yew in which survived some traces here not unbecoming of grotesque device and uncouth fancy from behind the roof rose the slim ash and massy sycamore blending their diverse foliage with the green of ivy flourishing and thick that clasped the huge round chimneys harbour of delight for wren and redbreast where they sit and sing their slender ditties when the trees are bare nor must i leave untouched the picture else were incomplete a relic of old times happily spared a little gothic niche of nicest workmanship that once had held the sculptured image of some patron saint or of the blessed virgin looking down on all who entered those religious doors but lo where from the rocky garden mount crowned by its antique summer-house descends light as the silver fawn a radiant girl for she hath recognized her honoured friend the wanderer ever welcome a prompt kiss the gladsome child bestows at his request and up the flowery lawn as we advance hangs on the old man with a happy look and with a pretty restless hand of love we enter by the lady of the place cordially greeted graceful was her port a lofty stature undepressed by time whose visitation had not wholly spared the finer lineaments of form and face to that complexion brought which prudence trusts in and wisdom loves but when a stately ship sails in smooth weather by the placid coast on homeward voyage what if wind and wave and hardship undergone in various climes have caused her to abate the virgin pride and that full trim of inexperienced hope with which she left her haven not for this should the sun strike her and the impartial breeze play on her streamers fails she to assume brightness and touching beauty of her own that charm all eyes so bright so fair appeared this goodly matron shining in the beams of unexpected pleasure soon the board was spread and we partook a plain repast here resting in cool shelter we beguiled the midday hours with desultory talk from trivial themes to general argument passing as accident or fancy led or courtesy prescribed while question rose and answer flowed the fetters of reserve dropping from every mind the solitary resumed the manners of his happier days and in the various conversation bore a willing nay at times a forward part yet with the grace of one who in the world had learned the art of pleasing and had now occasion given him to display his skill upon the steadfast vantage ground of truth he gazed with admiration unsuppressed upon the landscape of the sun-bright vale seen from the shady room in which we sate in softened perspective and more than once praised the consummate harmony serene of gravity and elegance diffused around the mansion and its whole domain not doubtless without help of female taste and female care a blessed lot is yours the words escaped his lip with a tender sigh breathed over them but suddenly the door flew open and a pair of lusty boys appeared confusion checking their delight not brothers they in feature or attire but fond companions so i guessed in field and by the river's margin whence they come keen anglers with unusual spoil elated one bears a willow pannier on his back the boy of plainer garb whose blush survives more deeply tinged 
twin might the other be to that fair girl who from the garden mount bounded triumphant entry this for him between his hands he holds a smooth blue stone on whose capacious surface sea outspread large store of gleaming crimson-spotted trouts ranged side by side and lessening by degrees up to the dwarf that tops the pinnacle upon the board he lays the sky-blue stone with its rich freight their number he proclaims tells from what pool the noblest had been dragged and where the very monarch of the brook after long struggle had escaped at last stealing alternately at them and us as doth his comrades too a look of pride and verily the silent creatures made a splendid sight together thus exposed dead but not sullied or deformed by death that seemed to pity what he could not spare but oh the animation in the mien of those two boys yea in the very words with which the young narrator was inspired when as our questions led he told at large of that day's prowess him might i compare his looks tones gestures eager eloquence to a bold brook that splits for better speed and at the selfsame moment works its way through many channels ever and anon parted and reunited his compare to the still lake whose stillness is to sight as beautiful as grateful to the mind but to what object shall the lovely girl be likened she whose countenance and air unite the graceful qualities of both even as she shares the pride and joy of both my gray-haired friend was moved his vivid eye glistened with tenderness his mind i knew was full and had i doubted not returned upon this impulse to the theme erewhile abruptly broken off the ruddy boys withdrew on summons to their well-earned meal and he to whom all tongues resigned their rights with willingness to whom the general ear listened with readier patience than to strain of music lute or harp a long delight that ceased not when his voice had ceased as one who from truth's central point serenely views the compass of his argument began mildly and with a clear and steady tone end of book eighth recording by bill borst